This is the Business Tech Playbook, your source for IT help for your business. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Business Tech Playbook. I'm your host, Rob Zolson, and to my digital right, I have uh, BJ Pote from ETOP Technology. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm BJ Pote with ETOP Technology, and today we're going to be talking about uh, making cybersecurity accessible for everyone. So what I'd like to go through is a little bit about, because we're going to do this as an uh, ongoing series, a little bit uh, about yourself and background, and uh, then I'll go into details of what we want to do with the podcast. I, I own a small managed service provider here in Southern California, and we really focus on having the right clients. Something that we've come across as we've dealt with prospects over the last couple of years is specifically, they most of the time people don't make decisions because they don't understand what we're talking about. And so we've really worked personally to improve our business language to be way more accessible. But then we realized the goal would be, how do we make technology more accessible to owners, executives, managers of organizations? So that way they can make decisions more effectively on technology. So really, our goal is to make technology accessible, uh, take out some of the buzzwords, uh, remove the... There's so many buzzwords and so much... Alphabet soup. That's always my go-to. Yeah, there's so much jargon, alphabet soup in the tech space. And we use it to protect ourselves because if we confuse you, then you don't have to make a decision or... It's a coping tool that IT people use. So at the end of the day, how do we demystify that? How do we make it accessible? And how do we help management teams make good technology decisions? And that's actually what not only what ETOP's all about, that's what the podcast is all about. And to dial this back to eliminate some of the alphabet soup, I'm already going to get people messaging me, what's an MSP? Uh, just, oh. just to let you guys know, uh, MSP is Managed Service Provider. So essentially, ETOP Technologies, which I work at as well with BJ, uh, we are a provider. We are your IT department for those that do not have an IT department or want us to assist in the activities with your IT department. So we're here to help you make strong business decisions with your technology in your business. We are your right arm with the buttons and monitors. Thank you, Robbie. I really appreciate you uh mentioning that because I, I did it so unconsciously that that is really the goal is to, to remove some of that unconscious uh, alphabet suit. So we, we get up in the morning, we punch in, and we wear the badge just like we work at, uh, at your company. And that's what we want to do with a bit of this podcast. If you're listening, we're hoping that this would go out to some of those business owners, business managers, small and large, on how to help demystify some of these IT activities and help you figure out in plain English, what uh, some of these decisions affect your business with so you can make them along the way. Well, so part of what we wanted to talk about today was a high-level overview of five key things that your business can do to improve your odds of getting cyber insurance and that really dramatically improve your cybersecurity. So we'll go pretty high-level over each of the the items on the list. Uh, These are all things that you can do. You don't need us to do it. We obviously would love it if you did use us, but at the end of the day, the rising tide raises all ships. And at this point, I want more, I want your company to be safe. So we're going to go over five different topics that will dramatically improve your cyber resilience. Now, I got to dial this back just a minute. So the sure. moment you say the word security to someone that isn't technical, they don't understand why or care. Especially with business owners, all they want, they're focusing on how can I make the money? We're uh, focused on how do I protect your property? People don't think about that. So these five topics are in the goals of 
you know, low hanging fruit, the best things you can do to make sure that your company stays protected and it is your assets, not uh, stolen by someone else. We are the gatekeepers. If you're going to physically hire a security guard guy, that doesn't touch the stuff that we're trying to protect. So five topics to make it super easy. At least the, the, the lowest hanging fruit to do the best job of securing your, your small or medium business. Absolutely. Well, what's number one? So the easiest thing that a company can do is MFA. So again, straight to the alphabet soup. I'm sorry. But MFA is multi-factor authentication. It's the text you get from your bank account. It's the rotating digit on, your, on the app on your phone. It's a push from Microsoft. Uh, enabling multi-factor is one of the number one things that insurance is going to require. And realistically, it should be a policy inside your organization that MFA is turned on on every single property, digital or otherwise, that you can turn it on. So three questions right off the bat that, again, I'm going to represent the, uh, the the human layman that isn't uh, uh, technical. Number one, what is MFA? And you said that it was the notification where if you try to sign in, it gives you that you know text message saying uh, six-digit code. It's a, a something that pops up on your phone saying, yes, you approve. It's that, that uh, extra level of login security. Uh, the second question is, why does it matter? Well, uh, you and me both every day deal with uh, our customers that have to sign up for multi-factor authentication. And I explain it just like this to everyone. Imagine that you are some third party in India or Dubai, and you're trying to get access to that uh, user's account. I mean, that that's what you're trying to do. You can steal company information, hopefully make a buck off it. So if you're trying to access that at three in the morning in another country and you have their password, I just get in. If you have that multi-factor authentication, you have that one extra step that even if they know your password or can guess your password, you have to have it either that text message or something on your phone to prompt them and it disables other parties, malicious or otherwise, from accessing those accounts. Now, you can think that, you know, Kathy, your secretary, might not have a, a ton of information. Uh, she does. She's got the emails from other people. She can try to impersonate other people. There's a lot of things they can do when they get in these accounts to fake things out. And uh, of course, C-level, you know, how many times do you approve invoices over an email, uh, have intellectual property going over these emails, you know, some super secret sauce of your company? Those, uh, what is MFA? Um, what does it do? And uh, why does it matter? So you said insurance companies specifically, that was a, a, a note. Can you explain why insurance uh, companies ask this and why it matters? Sure. Well, at, at the end of the day, insurance companies don't want to pay out premiums. So they don't want you to be breached because if, if you get breached, then they have to pay out to help your company recover. So multi-factor on through email, we happen to use Office 365, but there are other, like Google has email. There's a bunch of different providers that you can get email from. Email is one of the number one places we see compromise or potential incidents of compromise. And as a result, even if you don't have something that's privately, you don't have social security numbers or credit card numbers, but if they have your address book, they might be able to slip in the middle of a wire transfer. They might be able to send an invoice on your behalf to one of your clients. Your client gets breached. So at the end of the day, multi-factor just becomes that second layer of security that helps prevent somebody from getting in. MFA is based on something you know, so typically a password and something you have, typically a device or a two fact that second factor code. The chances of a bad a threat actor having your password and your phone at the same time 
are much lower than just having your password. Not to go into detail, but I have a lot of uh, you know people in the industry saying, what's the best form of uh, multi-factor authentication to use? So some common ones is once you sign in, you email address, password, and then the multi-factor prompts. So you have some options there uh, that you can ask your IT company for. The best one that you can get is when someone installs on an authenticator app. There's the Microsoft Authenticator app is the most common. Google has an Authenticator app. Uh, most any can be used. There's ones that are slightly easier than others. And this keeps a key essentially on your device like your iPhone or Android device. And Absolutely. that every few seconds has uh, rotates a code. And that code's only displayed every few seconds and it keeps changing. Uh, it can be used offline. It's by far the most secure. One step down from that is the text message. It's still very secure. But in very uh, sensitive areas, people have logged into Verizon account and got those and intercepted those text messages. So it's not as secure. It's still pretty darn secure. Other ways are telephone call. Literally, you log in, username, password, and then the phone rings and reads you over a code you type in. Well, that phone exactly. call can technically be intercepted if someone uh, was using maybe a VoIP service or picked up the phone for you. It's still very secure, but not quite as good as that, you know, uh, best method authentication app. So for me, I would say it's probably a token. So like a YubiKey token, or they have other types of MFA tokens. Those tend to be the cream of the crop, like the absolute best way. So when you say YubiKey, again, I'm going to, I'm going to help the listener here. They're, they're, they're not, they're on the weeds like us. So, uh, again, phone call, text message app on your phone. And then there's that YubiKey device to explain that a little bit in detail. It's like having a flash drive. It's a little device that's about the same size. It just plugs in your USB port. When the computer sees it, automatically it lets you log in. That's another fantastic top tier uh, version of multi-factor that you can just plug in and they physically have to have the device. Now there's downsides. It's very inconvenient. You know, it, it's, you have to physically keep like it in your pocket on a lanyard in your bag. And uh, what if you lose it? Well, guess what? You're not logging in. You got to call IT support unless you have it on your phone and you have another one of the multi-factors available to you. Where, where the IT guy is the multi-factor. So that, that's a really good point. So I, YubiKey, well, like the, the multi-factor tokens, I think they are technically more secure, but like you said, they're definitely less convenient because people can show up to work without their keys. A big part of why we like the phone-based app or the phone-based app is because people very rarely are going to show up at work without their cell phone. Right. So from just a pure convenience standpoint, we found that the cell phone has the best best security with the least amount of uh, inconvenience. All security, if, if you're not really thought about security before, all security is a balance between convenience and protection. You can make something super secure and make it impossible to log into, but is that really going to drive efficiency in your business? That's going to cost labor, time loss, that whole thing. So it's all a balance of what can we make to make it more secure while still making your business doable. 110%. It's always finding that fine line between, as you said, secure and functional. If you ever like, if you have an IT department and you're, uh, you're listening to this and you're not in the IT department and you want to make the IT person your best friend, ask them. Go say, hey, I don't think I have multi-factor yet. Is it something I could sign up for? And I guarantee you that dude will buy you coffee. He'll, just, he'll high-five you. He'll, he'll brag about it to his friends. You won't believe this. This guy asked me asked for me. it. I didn't have right. to make them. It was, it was beautiful. So if you want to make that nerd's day, 
do that? <laughs> at the end of the day, we always just want to make, we're all night, uh, try to be protectors at heart because we want, we want our clients to be safe. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing is we want our clients and their, their team to be protected. And seriously, that's a, if somebody asked to have MFA turned on, I would, I would dedicate my afternoon to helping them do it. Oh, d- 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 I'm, I'm serious. We have the chat between us and the office, and it would be a post. We would all talk about it for the next week. It would be in the team meeting. It would be a great day. So trust me, do that. Now, as we go through this, BJ, we have, again, this is just step one. We got f- uh, four other steps, but uh, we want to talk about what it is, how it affects you, and then how can they implement it. So if you're a listener and you're a user, ask. You know, you're, we already talked about how that'll make the IT guy happy. Uh, two, if you're a decision maker, a manager, or a C-level person, and you, you're, you hear this and be like, why can't I do that step to make it more secure? This doesn't cost you anything. This, if you're using a Google environment or a Microsoft environment, it should be included in most of your plans. Uh, again, talk to your IT professional, uh, talk to your managed service rep on that. Uh, it should be part of it. And... Uh, what we do is we do a communique rollout, whether it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, letting people know ahead of time, here's how you do it. Please sign up. If you have questions, talk to the IT department, get this rolling. And we keep uh, putting this up. We talk to managers to put it out in their team meetings. And then by the time that 30, 60, 90 days rolls around, uh, they've already been warned. And suddenly if they're locked out of their account, the IT department already has hopefully a little extra staff, uh, staffing to onboard the rest, uh, the remainder of those people. So it's not just something that you flip the switch and say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Uh, it's something that you want to communicate because you don't want, you don't want business to stop. Well, and that's exactly it. I, it, I hate saying it, but almost every single one of these uh, steps and tips are something that should happen at the C-level first and be a policy that's created. Like as a company, we believe we need to be more secure and MFA is the first place to start. And anything that can, should. Is everything going to allow you to do it easily? No, not necessarily. But the reality is the vast majority of software as a service or like web applications have multi-factor as an option and you just have to go look for it. Right. And even if you're just a user and your company hasn't opted into this yet, it will it will come. I mean, this is the this is the now. Uh, it's just soon to be reinforced. Even uh, private apps that have nothing to do with business, they almost across the board all have multi-factor authentication, and more and more companies are requiring you to do it, even though you may not know it's multi-factor. If you're getting logging in, and something shoots you a text message, you're signed up because they 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 require it to do, use that program. So if you're a u- user listening exactly. to this and you have Microsoft or Google product. You can go in and enable that without having to worry about, uh, you know, is it something my company's doing? It's there, available to you, and guess what? You're just a little better than the rest of your team. Exactly. Well, it means you're already used to it, and you can be a power user and help others learn how to use it. So um, my personal Microsoft account has their their version of uh, passwordless already set up. So that's it doesn't even require a password anymore. It's just a number match on my phone. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been so, in an environment where something happens and the IT guys are scrambling because they're trying to figure out, you know, who let the virus in and, uh, you know, everybody's sweating. You just know that it's not you because you signed up for multi-factor authentication when the exactly. IT guys comes up there. What did you do? You'd be like, bro, no, it's on my phone. We're, we're good. I got Wasn't the multi-factors. Yeah, <laughs> I got the multi-factors. All the factors. Exactly. All right, what's well, next? 
So the second one that uh, is, it is a software tool and it does usually require some kind of spending, but it's called EDR. Again, alphabet soup, but EDR stands for Early Detection and Response. Uh, what that means is basically it's a piece of software that lives on every single endpoint in your network. An endpoint is a laptop, a PC, a laptop, a PC, Mac, uh, doesn't matter if it's Mac, Windows, servers, literally anything that can be used needs to have something called the EDR, EDR on it, so early detection and response. But what it does is it basically sits there and it, it doesn't monitor users, but it pays attention to processes that are running, applications that are running, and it, it's sitting there just in the middle looking for a potential threat. And most modern EDRs will actually lock down an endpoint. So again, that desktop laptop device, if something starts to happen. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, question. Yeah, I know, sorry, I got way, way off. Whoa, top, whoa, way, way off whoa, we already got the uh, you know CFO here asking, hey, w we already pay for antivirus. Come on now, what, what's this EDR thing I got to pay for? Are you just trying to milk more budget out of me? Oh, goodness. I Come wish on that now. was it. Uh, How, how's this different? I mean, we already pay for antivirus. Come on. It comes down to security is much, it's many layers. It's not, a, no single thing will protect you from a potential threat actor. And so it's it's trying to layer the, again, with like multi-factor, it's, it's a layer. Well, let, let's gratefully... talk about this layer. How is it different yeah. than a traditional antivirus? Traditional antiviruses typically are very much based on um, oh here I, I i got this one because i have notes you got i brought this one? Yep. You know, it's unfair yeah, i didn't awesome. share those uh, yeah, you didn't share those with a me. typical antivirus uh, when the internet first came out and viruses first you heard about worms in the 90s uh, pop-ups were happening a typical antivirus sees a piece of software knows the name because someone put it on a list saying this guy isn't welcome to the party uh it's a simple thing we block the list. Uh, some company, whether it's McAfee Antivirus, Norton, something semantic, they back in the day made it list. If it looked like that, it wasn't allowed. That was your antivirus. It blocks known infections. Then we have more upgrades. Uh, we look for different permissions. So not only does it look like something, but they also what is it asking for? And they block that list too. So as antivirus evolved over the years, now we have the list. We have known permissions and now they have something looking for activities so antiviruses sandbox things meaning that if it sees a file even if it's something that's not on the list even if it's something that's not asking for the correct permissions they'll put it in a little uh that's what we call sandbox a little area seeing what it wants to do and if it's something malicious it gets stopped so that's a traditional antivirus how it's got so far edr even goes further than that like, uh, for instance, Huntress. How's Huntress different than, say, McAfee? So, again, oh, goodness. I got you. This is where we're, yeah, you did get me. I, I, I'm literally just trying to think of a, a kind of non-technical way of describing it. The original antivirus, like you were talking about, is very much like a bouncer that has a list of people that aren't allowed in the club. Love it. Uh, and, and so, literally, he, he can go, oh, you look like Bob. Bob's not allowed in the club. They, it's so, profiling. Sometimes they look like they're a bad dude. They won't let them in the club. You know, sometimes exactly. they're a walking funny, not in the club. You know, EDR goes a step further. And after they get in the club, it logs everything they've done, every drink they've had, every conversation they've done, and reports back exactly. a suspicious activity showing, hey, bro, that dude we, we already let in and approved, he's looking pretty pretty suspicious. And guess what? He's had a lot to drink, so he's changing 
as he's been in the club. So it's, now we're monitoring everything at the door and past exactly uh, with these tools. Now this is a oversimplification on these software for sure. But if you're a C-level executive or a manager, your IT guy comes up to you saying, "Hey." We have Malwarebytes, which is a good program. I've used it before. Uh, we want to move to the business platform of Malwarebytes EDR. Know that he's asking a very reasonable and mature request that he wants the antivirus to do more than just be a bouncer at the door. He wants to audit everybody that's in the club so they're all having a good time. That's a really good way of putting it. It's it's the difference. It's literally the difference between just simple pattern matching and then continuing to monitor what people are doing. And at ten drinks in, go, hey, this guy's probably going to be a real risk to the organization or to the club in about forty five minutes. So we're going to pay extra attention to him and kick him out early. And then after the uh, cops come and something did go bad happen, there's a whole list of hey, we know what the guy uh, bought at the bar. We know every person he talked to and interacted with in every way, and you can give them a full report saying this is why it happened and how we can stop it from happening again. That's what Huntress exactly. does so well. Again, we, we try to keep brands out of it, but where's biasness? I mean, we've been in the industry, I've been in the industry 15 years. BJ, how long you been in? Too, oh, too darn long. In the, yeah, a dozen years at this point, uh, 12, 15 years. Um, been around the industry a lot longer than that, but as a, an owner for 12 years now. We, we try not to be biased on brands, but uh, uh, these EDR programs, you'll see them, uh, like if it's Trend Micro, Trend Micro sells an EDR. If you have, uh, I mentioned Malwarebytes before, they have an EDR. Uh, at ETOP, we use a lot of Sophos and Huntress. Uh, we use a multi-level multi, exactly. multi -level approach. But know that uh, if someone's asking you for budget for this, it's a real thing. It's not just him because he wants fancy tools or wants to you know have his life easier. He just wants to make sure that your stuff is protected. One of the better EDRs out there. So Huntress is an amazing tool, and it's one that, like he's, uh, like Rob said, we do use. But one that we've been exploring and is oftentimes included in your Microsoft licensing is Defender Endpoint or Defender EDR. It's included in quite a few of the different licenses for Microsoft. You may already have it, or you may need to just bump up a single license level, and now you have it. And at that point, your team just has... It has Microsoft behind it. It has Huntress behind it. It has Sophos behind it. I don't even really care what the tool is, but something is better than nothing in this case. Now, in so, rare situations, if your your business uh, is insured with cyber insurance, which, of course, we recommend. Absolutely. You tell them, guess what? I have this cool thing called EDR. And they'll be like, all right, document it. Here's a discount. Because why wouldn't you want to insure someone that's already trying to protect themselves? Well, and it's even getting to the point where it's more like if you don't have EDR, you don't get approved. Yeah, that that's sometimes so, a, a pre-requirement, yeah. It's starting to become a requirement on almost every single insurance application that I see uh, where it's uh, it needs to be 100% deployed. So every single endpoint that it can be installed on should have it because almost always the threats that come in or the incidents that start are on the one machine that doesn't have the software protecting it. You can't protect what you can't see. So if you put a blinder on your bouncer and you don't watch the person inside the building, you're, you're going to have chaos. Right. It doesn't make... Okay, people ask, like, what's the budget for? Well, I mean, yes, that these people developed a tool and that's that's their business model. But uh, how would you like to spend, you know, $8 an hour on a bouncer that doesn't really do his job well? Um, he's, he's limited. You haven't given him all the tools. Or would you like, you know, a well-paid... Uh, muscular vigilante style bouncer at the front door. I mean, it's 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 night and day. You just have a different product. You have a different set of tools, and that's what you're paying for. Take take the Absolutely. extra. What is it? You know, couple dollars, five dollars, whatever the 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 margin is per endpoint, and and jump on that. 
another one of the big areas that we're seeing being a requirement in cyber insurance is a security awareness training. The short they they shorten it to SAT. I actually had to ask what that meant to and the yet, person who. This was is it. number three in the list, correct? This is number three number on the three. list. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, you need SAT, and I was like, I did that like in school. Five. You know, I think I yeah, passed right. it in like fourth grade. Don't worry about it. I got like, exactly. I got passed. That's all I remember. When I, when, when I finished my senior year the, for the fourth time, I finally passed my SATs. Right. No, I, I joke. Basically, it's security awareness training. There's a lot of really great tools out there. One of the bigger ones in the space is Know Before. But effectively, it's educating the users, your team, on what to, what not to click on, how to look out for threats. We, we happen to use something called Fish Threat. It's in the Sophos line of products. Works, works well. It works perfectly well. But your team needs to be trained. So Bring in... I'm C-level, right? Sure. I, I know that they need to be trained, right? I, they, they're not going to know what they don't know. I certainly don't know a C-level, so I don't even know what I need to be trained. So how am I supposed to shop for this? Of course, I can contact my IT department, hope that that guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, I pay him enough. I could talk to my managed service provider. Um, they might have something that they know of, but how do I validate that, right? I'm talking to a guy. I need to I need to know this is a, a real deal. For sure. Again, it goes back to there's 50 different brands. I mean, there's Malwarebytes EDR. There's Trend. Everyone has their own EDR version. SA, or the security awareness training is kind of the same, but realistically, there's probably two or three in our space that I would are probably going to be the best ones or best bang for your well, buck. What are the features I need to look for to make sure that whatever tool I pick is valid? Is the training solid? And do other people in the in the space look at recommend them? Okay, look Number, look for recommendations of of known decent people. Maybe talk to a company. Um, yeah, talk talk to a couple of their references. How easy is it to manage? If if your team if it can't send to your team and then make them actually take the the training. It's as good as not having it. Sure. Um, so if if uh, I have to set aside time where they do a computer-based learning, if I get send them an email and they do a 15-minute, uh, you know, uh, CBL, cyber-based learning module, that would pop up like okay. a YouTube video on their on their computer they answer a question with. How is it being used? I mean, cost is probably should be a factor in there. But That's, I mean, that is the market. You know, I'm not going yeah. to give you a blank check. The other thing is, is to me, I look at security awareness training, like professional industries look at their CEUs, a nurse or an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, they're all going to have to do continuing education to keep their license. It's getting to the point in my mind where you need to be doing security awareness training or people don't keep their jobs. I mean, because we work in a small company and we still got to do sexual harassment training because that's what state and governments require. The, this training, I think uh, the, the, another question that uh, would go is, what is the training? The, the basis of the security awareness trainings is mainly phishing attempts. What to look out for to see with email being compromised, who's trying to pretend to be the, the C-level manager, how to look for bad links, when not to give your password out. It's what you would think is basic training where people just never have done it before. You know, if you have, I pick on Kathy in, uh, in the front uh, front desk or, you know, Mindy in accounting, make up a name, right? They sure. are professionals in a space that isn't necessarily computer related. Maybe they haven't had a ton of experience with email or if they have, no one's taught them. It's all self-learned. They don't even uh, necessarily understand the impl uh, implications of them typing in a, one of their passwords to something and suddenly now keys of the kingdom were given out. Exactly. If it, well, doesn't, if it doesn't do that training, that would be what I would put as the last step of checking your, your security awareness is what did it do for you? So I think that security awareness training is obviously a very key component, but I think even just training people to be more 
adept computer users would really go a long way towards them understanding what is and what isn't a risk. If they just even know how to more effectively use their computer, they're going to be more efficient for your company. They're going to be a better employee. All the people that I found that are generally computer adept are people that are not, I'm not nearly as worried about when it comes to security. Sure. I think it should be probably more than just security awareness training, but like specifically security awareness training is what's called out in that's that's the, the tag name the the AB uh, the ABC soup, you know exactly. It's uh, the three letters in the alphabet there that keep getting pushed. You mentioned that you should always have ongoing training. Like even a person that's been there for years, it doesn't hurt to have refreshers. Stuff changes, everything evolves. But check. I mean, if you don't have training for how to use your account and make sure you're using best practices to keep it secure on onboarding. There's so many times where businesses, especially small businesses, because they still haven't understood the swing of things and they don't have the you know first day's trainings, they miss this. They just say, here's your password, figure it out. Well, yes, they will learn trial by fire. I f- still feel like that's one of the best trainings out there, even though it's looked upon negatively. I would not do trial by fire. I would say, hey, this is your account. Here's how you use it. Here's where you can use it. Here's what to look out for. And start day one if you can. If it's not there at the beginning, why are you refreshing other people? That's a really good point. I really do think that having some introduction to the security awareness training in the initial day of onboarding actually makes a lot of sense. Like, yes, this is actually what we're looking out for, and this is what you actually need to do. And here's why it's so it's such an important part of our company and why it's a, a culture of employee education. Like, we spend a lot of time training our team because it's very important to have well-trained professionals. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be industry-specific training. So here's a real-world so. example. Someone at, what we call ABC company that we were working with, uh, at least I was working with, worked there for six months. She was great in her position, did her job well, got no training up front. It was trial by fire, but she's, she's fast in her feet. She's a sharp cookie. Broke measurement expectations of her sales position, but didn't have simple basic, you know, we'll call it CBL or security awareness training at the beginning. So when she got an account, she put everything... Uh, on a notepad and she was front of the business put everything on a notepad right up front and stuck it to the monitor uh just little things that that security awareness training would have given uh uh you know hey don't do this this is how we handle it we have this cool password manager for you and someone broke in the building they uh you know tried to find assets to steal from and oh look they have a username and password right on the front to the bank account of all things. Now that's an extreme measure where someone broke into a building. Uh, this in real life, you know, maybe that person could have instead shared that account with another person in, in the company, didn't know she wasn't supposed to, given out information. There's so many little applications that you'd think people say, well, common sense tells you. It really doesn't. When you're in the moment, you've never been told, you don't know what that login was for. There's a lot of things that go wrong. Well, exactly. Well, again, it goes back to all of these things really should start with a pretty basic policy that the company lives and it becomes part of the, the company's culture to be secure. And most of these things are fairly low intrusiveness to the overall productive productivity of the company, but they all definitely hugely contribute to that culture of security. Security versus convenience. 15 minutes to do a CBL with some tool that you purchased versus not having it at all. I figure that's, a, that's an easy buy. The fourth one is patching. That may sound like a really simple one, but is Windows up to date? Are your third-party apps up to date? Chrome typically has one bad 
They call it a CVE. I apologize again, more alphabet soup, but they have, typically have one exploit a week that gets released. And so we'll run a forced Chrome or Edge or Adobe. Or web browsers Quickbooks. for those that are, are listening. And, yeah, sorry. Edge and Chrome are the main web browsers. How you get to the World but Wide Web. Are your applications up to date? Do you have software support for your QuickBooks, for Sage, for Activate? There's there's hundreds and hundreds of different ap applications out there. Do you have the latest ins updates installed? Do you have your Windows updates done? Do you have your Mike Mac updates done? It's really important. Like so, it's one of the number one threat vectors besides users. My name's Bill. I'm a, I'm the C level guy that has to figure out why in the world this matters to me. Um, sure. It's more than just security. So you you hear about someone that makes an exploit make some sort of piece of software that can uh, attack uh, day one and no one knows about it. No one's put on the bouncers list that we talked about before. You're right. That's why they're patching things and putting uh, updates for security. But there's also stability updates. Microsoft, uh, go through any provider, they have tools that either automatically update or uh, update in the background without you knowing. And if you're for instance, Windows machine hasn't been updated, eventually you'll start seeing your programs are going to crash, stuff's not going to save, files will go corrupt. And instead of just being a security problem where you're worried about someone stealing something from your company, it becomes a how do I continue doing business problem. So if you ignore Windows and all these updates that we're talking about, eventually you get to the point where, guess what, my computer is going to be completely down for the count for a day, maybe longer, because I had to rebuild it or fix something or I call IT department. Keeping those patches up to date, make sure that your system is going to keep running going forward. And the entire idea with tech is uptime. Uptime means you're making more money and the system's uh, doing, uh, making sure to stay available for you to do those jobs. Exactly. The other thing is be, be patient with your IT team because getting patching right isn't the easiest thing to do. It's a very simple thing to do, but it's not easy. Had a real, um, real conversation with a director and he said, hey, you know, I, I, I got stuff to do. I, I have a busy life. I don't have time for patching. I'm like, okay, well, I looked at ticket two weeks ago and you gave eight hours because your computer was down because you didn't want to patch and you kept saying no right. which was more convenient 15 minutes to reboot your computer after it patched overnight when you let your it company take care of it on maybe a wednesday or eight hours because your computer broke and you didn't let us patch it in the first place and and that's a big part of it i also hear a lot like why can't i just buy the perpetual license i trust me there are times i wish i could buy more perpetual software for myself so perpetual means you buy it once you never have to do anything again you beat me to the explanation i'm trying yeah uh, you, you're, Sorry, get, you're getting good sure i'm ahead of the game here i uh, i know i'm gonna get called out for uh, using alphabet soup and not uh being clear Sorry, we're but gonna if, we're gonna have a, a a button saying soup. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Alphabet soup. Alphabet yep. soup. Almost everything these days is a, is a subscription, and I recognize that that can start to feel painful depending on how many different applications you use. Trust me, I know we're a company of seven people, and my software bill is huge. <laughs> it's a lot. But at the end of the day, I know that if there's a potential threat or an incident or a vulnerability, typically things are going to be patched very quickly. And so, by paying for it monthly, it's in their best interest to, to keep me running. When the business of software, it was first modernized, because software has been around since there's been a, a piece of technology. But modern software, since it's been modernized, you, you go to the store, 
let's take the Walmart for instance. Go into Walmart. You buy a disc. You install the disc, and you own that piece of uh, software for let's say a hundred bucks, whatever it costs you. Uh, that was a very tangible way of doing things, like movies. I can go buy a movie. I can go rent a movie. It's piece of software on a physical uh, piece that I can install or play on a piece of media. Software evolved just like everything else has, where even if you have the option to go buy and quote-unquote own that piece of software, that software only updates and patches and works for a period of time. Uh, maybe it's uh, when Windows updates and no longer supports the old version that you own. Maybe it's uh, some other patch for a, a third-party app, like for instance, even QuickBooks. Uh, they don't support back, uh, was it three years? Three years? So even if so you want to buy, is going end of life now. Right. So even if you want to buy QuickBooks, right, and you buy it for let's say three hundred fifty bucks, I don't know what the price is. You go buy it and you own that piece of software. It stops working for what you intended to buy it for after X years, and you lose features as it ages. So they're still pushing patches. You've prepaid for that three years of use of the product or you just pay monthly indefinitely and they'll just keep it up to date and keep to the newest version. No matter what you choose, perpetual or uh, month to month, it's going to be the same software, the same way they're going to uh, deliver it and the same expectation if you pay it once or pay it monthly. So you got to yeah, have patches, you got to keep it going. They're always going to keep updating that product even if you have to figure out how to pay for it. I appreciate it because it's operationalized a lot of the expenses. So you no longer have to buy a $100,000 piece of software. You can now pay you know, $2,000 a month or whatever. And that that is your spend. And then you always stay up to date. But then subsequently, it's in their best interest to keep it patched and up to date. And so you're hopefully getting new features every single month or once a quarter, every six months, whatever that release schedule is like. So it's not just the protection element. It's also the new feature element as well now bj so. uh bill uh cfo here again you said i need to keep a patch well i'm just going to click update every now and again and i'm going to try to remember to do that figure it out or do you have a better method of keeping these things up to date oh man make your it person whack buttons for you uh kind of joke okay so no, no so, let's go over the list here make your it department whack the buttons for you so there's a list again to me it starts with a policy What's your patching policy look like? We as an organization keep all of our software up to date every X. Here's our maintenance window for doing it. And this is the this is the published, understood document. So most, most places recommend once a week. Having some sort of window, preferably after hours, to get it done. So either you pay a guy to punch buttons. We, we always pick, uh, was it our motto, we patch on Wednesdays? On Wednesdays we patch. Yes, right. Exactly. On Wednesdays we patch. One, you don't want to make your IT per- person work on the weekends unless something breaks. You know, only use him for emergencies. Don't beat him up, otherwise he'll quit and find a new job. Uh, exactly. So have him work for us where he doesn't have to work weekends. There you go. Come, come call us. Um, <laughs> uh, if uh, so, you have the rest of the week to choose. You're going to try to do it at, at when you close. So it's try to be after hours, and you can make that IT guy stay. If you close at five, he'll stay there till six, and he'll start pressing buttons. Uh, or you can use RMM tools. Uh, that you can purchase or have your IT company purchase to install on computers. They audit, automatically enforce those updates on a regular exactly. basis. It's gen- are these RMM tools, remote monitoring and management. Again, we're not here for more soup. These are just tools that tell you, hey, this computer is working, how it's working, and what patch it's at. So we have RMM tools on all of our clients, and that's required. We can't do business without the tool. It allows us to 
completely see what's going on, make sure it's patched. And if it doesn't, it lets us know so we can go manually take care of it. So then exactly for your users, right? You're a user, Mr. Bill, a CFO, all the way down to Kathy, the secretary. They'll just see that they'll come in on Thursday and ask the user to reboot or it already has rebooted overnight. Exactly. Which means your uptime's well, available, everything's working seamlessly. And if it didn't, it notified your IT guy. So Thursday morning, he's already probably fixed it by the time you got your coffee. Well, and that's the goal. And actually, we've been working, re, kind of reworking through our methodologies when it comes to patching. We're doing typically Windows patching. We're considering running it at noon every day. Hear me out. Because if you use some kind of patch management tool, what happens is a lot of organizations are going laptop-based. And so people, when they leave for the day or they are done for the day, turn off their laptop. Whap, that thing gets it closed. Goes to, it's offline. I can't exactly. do anything. They close the screen. It goes to sleep. And so now it just never gets patched because it's off during our normal patch windows, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. We're redoing some of our methodologies to say patch from 12 to one and then don't reboot until end of day. Right. So it still does the process and then still either if they haven't rebooted on their own, then it reboots later when you're not in a critical exactly. moment of making a sale or doing really hardcore business or worse. In a, I've literally seen these companies where they'll do in the zoom meeting, they'll, be, they'll just be like, Hey guys, ready for the meeting. And then it goes black for 30 minutes. Right. <laughs> Not exactly. acceptable. We try, we try to avoid that. And so there's two different pieces of patching. So typically when you say patching, people think windows or Mac, like Mac operating systems, there's other areas that I would take a look at. So I would make sure that your phones are up to date. So iOS and Android apps or main operating systems are up to date. And then there's something called third-party patching. So basically third-party patching is everything besides the core operating system. So Windows or Mac OS. All your software is your QuickBooks, your, your, your what we call line of business application. So if you, let's, let's pick on uh, a customer. If I am a garbage uh, truck uh, business operator, Right, I have software that manages my customers, all the invoicing, billing, when their trash routes. got picked up, routes. Yep. That's going to be called, we'll, we'll pretend, this, because this is a real company, Trash Flow, right? Are you serious? That's actually the name of a... Real company. That's, uh, that's incredible. Their software is old, but their people are great. So this, you've purchased this from Trash Flow, right? And you want to make sure it stays working and up to date. So either you buy that software and it's your problem and you got to tell a guy to hit a button or may hope that your RMM works on that uh, computer to update trash flow. But best recommendation, if you're using that line of business software, that one special software that makes your magic work, you make sure to talk to that vendor and ask them, hey, what is, how do we patch? How do I tell my IT company? How do my IT company integrate with you to make sure that we're staying up to date and trash flow keeps working because without trash flow, I can't roll trucks. I'm totally on a tangent now looking at trashflow.com. You should. Uh, not, yeah. Not, not yeah, saying not, it's the not, best all be all. I'm just using that as one example. Uh, you know, that's hilarious. It is. And not every an business customer. has it. If yeah. you're, if you're a mattress company, if you're a car dealer, if you're, everybody has these special line of business products. Exactly. So if you can utilize the people you paid for to make sure it's patched, if they say, well, we don't handle that, probably find a different company. There's others exactly. out there. It's a never ending game of trying to keep things up to date. It's a never ending task for sure. Well, last one well, on our list, unless you got something more oh, to add. Uh, no, no, that's, that's plenty. The last one on our list is backups. Typically when people think backups, they think server backup or maybe a 
laptop or desktop in, uh, backup. We call those endpoints. What we're finding is, yes, that should be part of your backup routine, but people then go, well, I'm all cloud-based. I don't need backups. Well, yeah, you do. There's a reason there are Salesforce backup partners. There's a reason there's Office 365 backup partners, Google Workspaces backup partners. If you look at their terms of service, they guarantee data availability, not data integrity. Right. So let, let's pretend, right? Let's go through the, the metrics of why. Please. Yeah, he, absolutely. Bill, even Bill, the CFO knows that if he makes a document, he needs that. That's a, you know, Bill will pretend that he's a lawyer right? He has to make all this paperwork and that's why they're paying him is for not only his physical work in the courtroom, but all the paperwork that goes along with it. And if he exactly. loses that paperwork, not only does it, he not get paid from the customer, but he also can get countersued for screwing up the paperwork. He makes a document. That document needs to have a copy in case anything happens. It could go corrupt for no reason. It could someone, you know, Kathy, the secretary, deleted it on accident. Whatever it exactly. may be, uh, it's there. So if you have, quote unquote, cloud tools, that's like OneDrive, Google Drive, something for business that tries to make uh, that available online to you, they, like BJ just said, uh, assures that it'll be there. Not that that didn't go corrupt. Not that Kathy didn't delete it and remove it from OneDrive. Not that you know, you think of it as a backup copy. It really isn't. And there's tools that attach to these things, uh, whether it's Google Drive, uh, OneDrive, these are Microsoft or Google products for business. They have backups for those. So if you say you're part of the cloud, okay, we're still asking, where's your backup? Well, exactly. Our typical methodology for how we handle backups. BJ um, always is it, typical because we, you know, we try to standardize everything, but there's always going to be some sort of snowflake out there. So you'll, you'll hear this word typical is because that one dude will have some weird business case where we have to go atypical. Just so you know, not, n not everybody is cookie cutter. We, we know there's business cases for everything. But we try really hard to stay within a pretty strict methodology internally because so for us, we see customers as either premise-based or cloud-based. The reality is our premise-based customers. So on-premise is anything inside your building. So servers that are running some kind of application for your business. So ERP, warehouse management systems, practice management, their tax platforms. There, there's hundreds of different types of line of business applications out there. So for us, most of our clients are, again, hybrid or cloud-based. So premise and hybrid is your server is attached to like Office 365. It keeps things nicely integrated. It's very smooth. Some things make a ton of sense to host in the building. Some things make a ton of sense to host in the cloud. To me, email is one of those things that makes a lot of sense to be in Office 365. I don't want to be hosting your email in your building. It's too big of a risk for you not to have it. One more piece to the, to the alphabet soup, acronym soup. Uh, in cloud on-premise, uh, on-premise, you explain quite clearly. If it you have a physical box, whether you're, let's pretend you're a dentist's office and all your x-rays are saved sure. on a computer, that's on-premise. If you think in the cloud, uh, anywhere that that data would be saved on a application, if you log into your email for Office 365 and you don't have a box that controls that email, that's suddenly in the cloud. It's not held exactly. physically in your office next to your x-ray machine. It's uh, held by Microsoft and you have a copy. Uh, all these tools, we call them SaaS apps, more more acronym soup, software as a service. Uh, you don't have to install the uh, software. It's probably on the cloud. Good point. And I, 
I forget that cloud is one of those acronyms because it's been around for so long. It's, but it, people are so confused. Just, they'll get, they get ah. gloss over. What's the cloud? I don't know. I'm staring at it. Yeah, right. It's Why is it cloudy out? That's cloudy with a side of meatballs. The cloud is literally just anything that's outside your building. So that could be QuickBooks Online, Office 365, Google Workspaces, Amazon. Like That's all technically the cloud because it's somebody else's computer. So, let, so. let's just go. If I have on-prem, right? If, if I'm a dentist office, I have x-rays, and I want all my data backed up, uh, what, what are the options? As with all of these things we've talked about so far. So if there's any one of these that's a specific product, there's tons of different options. We specifically do a methodology called a, a BDR, so a backup and disaster recovery server on site. So it's a separate physical device on your network that reaches into your server and backs it up. So we take a snapshot of all your files and what's called a point in time. So it's an image. It's like taking a picture of a stream. You have a picture of what that stream looked like at that moment. And so that's how we take backups. We specifically use Veeam at the moment. There's a ton it's of one tools. Of the yeah, there's hundreds of options out there. It happens to be what we use. And there's a lot of other really good options out there. So um, for the dentist's office, since that's what we're talking about is the BDR, sure. uh, dentist's office has his files and his x-rays on one box, one computer. Um, yep. That's shared between uh, the office. Everybody accesses them on that one box. You have a device you put in there called the BDR. It makes copies of that box in case Correct. that server, uh, that computer dies. Uh, and Correct. the hard drive's blown, you can't recover it. Now you have a copy, and you can spin that up, meaning you can make turn that copy on at a moment's notice. Most of these take within a couple hours to quote-unquote spin up your copy, and with the, that two-hour downtime is all you had. Your whole server, your whole computer that had all your x-rays on, all your data, died. Now you have a new box you can spin up. Well, people would ask, what happens in the if you know a tornado hit me? What, wasn't there a tornado somewhere over in California there that they've just never heard of? Oh, yeah. There was something at Montebello a couple of weeks ago. So it was yeah. about 50 miles from our office. Yeah, you just, got a, just a random tornado, and you're not in Tornado Alley. It just hits you. It's some act of God. You're, you're yeah. building lights on fire. All of that was that was on the box for your dentist's office, and the backup copies are gone. Um, that's the good BDRs make another copy. So not only do they copy a machine locally, but they also copy something back to that cloud again. So you have Correct. two copies of every uh, copy that it actually makes. One on site on that little device that you could spin up in a moment's notice if you need to, and another off in space waiting to be pulled down if they have to. Correct. Going through the scenarios again, it's always worst case scenario, your server dies, we can spin one up maybe in a couple hours. Both die, whether it's from a fire, something happened. Uh, both of those devices, as an act of God, burnt out. We still have another copy in the cloud if you're doing the correct BDR device. Correct. And, and so every backup, again, going back to having a policy about it. So the backup policies that we write are very specific to, like, we have a generalized one that we apply to everyone. And then anything more specific than that gets discussed with a client and what their specific needs are again tons of different acronyms out there there's going to be rpo so that means recovery point objective like how much data can you afford to lose and a recovery time objective where it's how long can you afford to be down so, so i know business is the dentist's office he's got a lot of appointments he's got like three teeth cleaners alone in one corner of his building and if his computers aren't down he's not taking x-rays he ain't making money 
So that dude probably has no tolerance for his stuff failing. Well, or if you have a manufacturing company that's doing a hundred million dollars a year, you know, if they're if they're not able to produce for four hours, that could be a couple hundred thousand dollars pretty easily. That there's so. a there's a metal manufacturing company I did work for in the past uh, in another life, and literally I sat down with them trying to talk to talk to them uh, about backups. And he's like, "Oh, I don't think we need it." I'm like, "So okay, if I go flip off that server uh, and it doesn't go on for an hour, how many how many dollars are you paying to the 27 people on the floor that now can't do their job?" Oh, exactly. And it immediately clicked. So what can't you afford to go down is how you measure it. And then the, the spend. So the amount of data versus a dollar amount. If I have one terabyte versus two terabytes, there's going to be different plans you'll hear from your IT executive or whatever tool you're using. But it's important to ask, you know, how long when it does go down. Yes, I pay for all of that being covered. How long will it take to spin back up? So that's that's the premise side of the backups. And then the non-premise side to me is the are you backing up your Office 365? As more and more people go to fully cloud-based files and folders, uh, file sharing, email, uh, people are way more upset about losing an email anymore than almost anything else. It's a function of, can you afford to be without it? And it's part of why we personally require email backups at this point for our clients, but it's something that I highly recommend. One of the big questions I see on almost every single cyber insurance questionnaire is what's being backed up and how frequently is it being backed up and how fast could you come back online and that's where you can save some money so some businesses you can talk to like i've talked to an auto mechanic we all uh, pick on the trash company versus his auto mechanic the auto mechanic he had his invoicing done every three days meaning that he physically wrote papers with him and his team of what they did and try to submit it to their secretary and every three days she came in and filed them all so they didn't need but one backup a day. You sure. know, they didn't have to pay an absorbent amount of money to make sure that, you know, every 30 minutes there's a new backup. They don't need that. They need once sure. a day, and that was all they needed for their IT spend. The trash company, they had ch- two check-ins with their uh, trucks because they have tablets and whatnot. The route goes out in the morning to the tablet. And then they could go drive and deliver. And then it tallied once at the end of the day when their trucks were done uh, when they got back. So they needed two backups a day. It's, it's not just we're not uh, you know, crying wolf saying you need all the backups you can get. There's real business conversations to save you money. If you only need it once a day, only do it once a day. But if you're going to be, I pick on the lawyer. Lawyers make so many incremental changes to so many documents that probably every 30 minutes for these really high-efficiency lawyer firms is necessary. And, and there's many ways to kind of attack that. And some of them aren't expensive and some of them are expensive. So it comes down to make, make a policy that makes sense and then talk to your team and figure out the technical way of making this happen. So whether Here's it's what us, I need, figure it out. Yeah. Again, your IT person is going to be thrilled if you go, hey, I have a policy around backups that we were thinking of implementing. Could you help me figure it out? I'd be thrilled. Most IT people want to be involved in the business conversation, but they don't know the language. Teach them how to talk to you. They're not as suave as you, BJ. I mean, really. They well, just need more hair Obviously, gel. obviously. And, and, I'm, and I'm struggling over here to come up with good terms for small businesses. I don't like, know. You nailed that uh, bouncer one. The, bu- the bouncer one? That, I was proud of that. We're yeah. going to copyright that one. That's fantastic. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm totally... Uh, I'm going to use that going forward. I'm, uh, I was pretty happy with that. But most of this stuff isn't sexy. It isn't flashy. But it's if you if you have a plan for it and you do it, 
you're going to be such it's such a better place security wise and it wise your your stuff's just going to work all your focus is going to be left with just making money exactly make it make it easy let, let the security be there so it's not an inconvenience in the future uh, and then the, and then back up your it person like yeah if, as a company this needs to be happening at the executive management level like this needs to be the policy at that level and then it needs to be we're we're backing up our it person to make it happen the last thing on backups that I like to talk about, we talked about disasters. It, what, what happens when that breaks or fails or something goes corrupt? But you, you know what's really used for backups most of all with these customers? It's not when stuff fails because that rarely happens. The Seriously. real thing is when Kathy, the secretary, has been working files all day and she clicks and drags and accidentally deletes or moves a file. The most of the time when we're, for the IT people here, we're, we're letting you in on something, uh, you call in saying, hey... I just had that file yesterday, and now it's gone. Where'd it go? I need a backup immediately. That is what we do on such a regular basis. People's like, where is it? Uh, okay, let me pull up the backup. Here's your copy. Okay, please don't delete it again. And then you move on. That amount of efficiency Correct. could be thousands of dollars in some of your work, where you're missing a file, something got deleted, some, just from everyday activities, from either I'm missing an edit because I worked two hours in the document was moved in the wrong spot to some new guy decided to click and drag the wrong folder and make it go poof oh seriously i, I will say 95 98 percent of our restores are non-emergent restores it's convenience-based restores um and that you know we say convenience uh trust me when you're looking at eight hours of real work or inconvenience based restores <laughs> yeah inconvenience based yeah. restores we're i mean us being able to take 30 minutes and pull that up could mean real money to a customer you know well it's days of days of work recreating yeah. so that's part of why for us we have for, for at the local level we're doing something called previous versions so on all of your file servers from windows they have the option to do previous versions it allows it to take snapshots two three four five times a day and the user can self-restore files yeah so you don't have to call Actually, us you can just right click it and us. go okay here's from tuesday and then you just get it typically yeah, it typically takes like a five to six percent, five to ten percent uh, space premium. We typically have ours set up for uh, three to two to four times a day, depending on the client, and then going back usually thirty to forty days. It saves so much time having to go into an actual backup platform to restore data. Talk to your IT team; you can enable it, make it a policy. It's a fairly inexpensive way to save your bacon. For sure. Uh, Actually, it's a free way to save your bacon. Free? That's so. kind of, that comes with the normal Windows licensing? It, it's built into Windows Hell, licensing. Turn that on. Use the extra turn space. It it's 5% is not bad for your, your equipment. Well, in a day of basically free space, well, and that's part of why online backups are pretty cool, or online uh, file sharing. Uh, so with SharePoint and OneDrive, it's what we happen to use. Right. There's previous versions baked into all of it. We'll have to do two episodes. One, we got to do it on insurance. I know there's going to be a bunch of people listening oh, to yeah. like cyber insurance. I've been hearing about that. My guy called me. Uh, we got to do an episode on that. And then we have to do probably, I don't know, two separate episodes. One on three sixty uh, uh, Microsoft 365, what it is, how you use it, just as a uh, high level, why it benefits your company, and probably one other one for Google. We could do a entire podcast series on just Microsoft. We and could the, and the and the tools that they bring to bear for small businesses. We got to keep at it's, least one high level because Bill's attention span. You know, we were talking. Oh about yeah, them, exactly. You know what I'm saying. Well, again, our goal is to our goal our goal is to provide high level 
I'm, I'm actually a little concerned that this took as long as it did. I thought we would be done in 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, we're we're solidly 45 minutes to an hour in. Oh no! So, you see, you got uh, a long commute in the LA traffic, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, exactly. this is easy listening. You know, BJ sounds good. Oh, that's right. I got my new podcasting mic. So right, I'm doing my uh, my 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 baritone. So well, before we uh, go get to the last segment, uh, we didn't do a little deep dive on you. I'll st- on us, I should say. I'll start uh, again. R- uh, Robbie Olson, work for Etop Technology. Love uh, working for in the MSP space. I've been again in IT 14, 15 years, wearing a lot of hats. I used to be a head of research and development for an internet service provider. Done a lot of different things. Uh, kind of an IT generalist. Like to have the ability to start and fail at something new every day. Oh goodness, amen to that. My my full name is William Pote. Uh, my dad never call Bill. him That's William. How, yeah, never. never. If you call me William, you're not friends. William, I'm okay with. If you call me Bill, we're not friends. So Bill, uh, that's a CFO. He's a different guy. Yeah, exactly. Not not. Yeah, like Bill's fine. It's just that was my dad's name. So I'm either William or BJ. So as you've heard, Rob's refer to me as BJ quite a bit. We've uh, my wife and I have owned Etop Technology for a little over 12 years now. Previous types of jobs, I've been a blacksmith for four or five years. So had a really kind of long tenure doing that Did a lot of subcontract work i'm learning yeah, about this right now yeah right sorry yeah should have given you the uh the too long didn't read I, I knew you were kind of buff but i just thought you were working on it you know what i'm saying no oh, i have done that too uh about 13 years ago went on a kind of a rampage to lose a lot of weight lost a little over 120 pounds Woo. so yeah well it's some of it's creeped back apparently being an it business owner with two small children is kind of hard on the physique but working to recapture that i just i love the game of business and i love i love technology it's so interesting we in the office figure out problems we call him the squirrel uh because he thrives like just feeds off of new and cool ways to make your your life efficient literally he'll just pop in like rob you gotta show you this and then he'll just squirrel off on this sweet new way that he improved someone's life uh, and day-to-day oh, chores. Goodness. We use a very substantial suite of tools to improve like how we deliver operations and hopefully improve our clients' lives. And it's always trying to learn how do you optimize it? How do you integrate a thing? How do you, can we take what we do for ourselves and bring it to our clients? Like I love technology and I love business and I love, I love talking to people about this. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Now, before we we disappear, sure. you know this was this is a heavy topic. You know, we're we're gonna do uh, more of these evergreen episodes where if you're thinking about something, you are not a tech a technical person, and you want to make a business decision, we're gonna help you along the way. But at the end, uh, maybe we'll keep this, maybe we won't. I'd like to do a little bit of tales from tech support, just as a you know a giggle. So I, I select you know scour Reddit something else for for some actual story of what happened to someone else and we'll we'll give our our take on it. But uh, I'm a manager of a grocery store. We have multiple automated self checkout machines. One of our machines was down in a coin dispensing error. I opened the machine up, did everything I was shown in the past to clear errors, and nothing worked. Uh, one of our other managers called the IT department and they will call us back in under an hour. Uh, later they got in touch with us. Uh, with the tech with some fixes for the machine and do over the phone troubleshooting about 15 minutes later i walk up and one of our employees is on the phone with the tech saying uh, i asked her is everything okay she's like yeah everything's okay the tech had me clean the inside and blow out everything i look over and there's a can of wd-40 and i asked her 
did he tell you to spray it out with condensed air? She says, yeah, it's right there. I said, no, this is WD-40. It's like, that's like spraying grease in there. I kid you not, she was, it was like watching people die inside video in real life. Just notice at that moment that that machine's now pooched. Well, at least it's not going to squeak anymore. And then she walked away and, wow. So uh, if, if you're talking to an IT person, no that uh, they don't see what you see and they're trying to interpret with your words uh, what's going on. So be over articulate, even though it may seem it's annoying. We love you narrating everything you can read and see. So if you say, hey, I want even to the point of let's, let's you know, use a dust air can to blow it out. Read them what's on the can. Tell them the brand. <laughs> Amen to that. Don't spray WD-40 into tech equipment. Uh- well, our job is our job is literally just to it's to interpret what we're hearing or what we're seeing, and try to give you a, the best outcome. Yeah, that's a really good point. Oh man, that's so funny. WD forty. Well, uh, BJ, do you have anything else from the business playbook? Ah, from the business playbook. Honestly, I think over. We're, if you're still here, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. I didn't expect for it to go nearly this long, but at the end of the day, now uh, we appreciate uh, you listening and we're going to get this fine-tuned so this is version uh, 1.0 and thank you subscribe for more get push notifications to your phone so you don't miss content like this and you know we'll we'll keep on guide if you have a request you'll find in our show notes the contact information email us reach out let us know what issues you're having we can bring up on the uh, future episodes or cover something uh, without having to use a ton of alphabet soup amen to that well i appreciate it so much and have a great day.